We're in Ephesians chapter 5, and if you want to stand with me, we're going to read uh, verses 18 through 24. It says, And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but we be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So Lord, we just come before you as we uh, just bow our hearts and our lives before the holy word of God. Lord, just recognizing in week six of this series that uh, still a verse such as this uh, can be abrasive to our flesh and to our worldview. And so we pray that you would just give us a true biblical understanding of uh, this wonderful role of subordination, uh, not only in wives to their own husbands, but also uh, all of us to one another. And most of all, just the subject of today, Lord, that we would find just the motivation behind it all in the wonderful, sacrificial love and life and death of Jesus Christ. We just love you as we come before your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. The captain of the ship looked into the dark night and saw faint lights in the distance. Immediately, he told his signalman to send a message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly, a return message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees south. The captain was angered. He commanded and it has been ignored. So he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. Soon another message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am Seaman Third Class Jones. Immediately, the captain sent a third message, knowing it would invoke total fear. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. Then the reply came, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. (laughs) The battleship needed to learn the necessity of submission. All of us do. It's a tough Verb, it's a tough word for all of us as we come to this text this morning. It's not just for wives, but it's all of us towards one another. And we are taking a lot of good time in dealing with the subject of submission out of Ephesians chapter 5, but really at its foundation of Genesis chapters 2 and 3. Last week, we spent a good amount of time giving a right definition of submission. Today, we're going to look at the motivation behind submission. 
We're going to look at the dignity of submission. And very important, in, a, in one of our weeks, we're going to look at how far should this submission really go? What's the extent of submission? We look at the context that it appears, and it's within this wonderful verse 18 and wonderful verse 21 where we see a filling of the Spirit by spending time in the presence of God And it also then leads to a mutual submission one to another, as verse 21 tells us. And really, verse 18, verse 21, this is the starting point in this subject of family, whether it's marriage and wives and husbands, and later on Paul's going to get into fathers and their relationship with their children, parents with their children, Uh, and then even an interesting kind of lumping in with the family employees and the way they treat their employers and employers and the way they treat their employees. And so this is the starting point though. It's verse uh, 18 and it's verse 21. It's what Luther called the house table, the house table. And we've noticed in our previous studies, as we've looked at the foundation of family, that in Genesis chapter 2, It's God's design. And in God's design, He has created a wonderful equality among the genders in the the, uh, areas of value and worth and dignity. We as husbands are uh, on an equal plane as far as our value with the wives and men with the women and even children with adults. There's an equal level there as far as value, as far as worth, as far as dignity. But there is difference we see at the creation account in our roles towards one another and in our functions and how we live this out. It's a, it's a distinction that we see as we studied last week, even in the Trinity where we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons in one Godhead. There's distinction and differences, and yet there's equality and unity as far as their value, as far as their worth, as far as their dignity, those persons within the Godhead. And so when we look at marriage and family, There's to be a submitting to one another in one sense because there's equality in the sense of worth. It's wonderful that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus elevates the dignity of women and he gives them honor and respect in a day when women were considered to be property at best. In a day when it was considered wrong to even speak to a woman in public, boom, in John chapter 4, right away, you come to this revolutionary historical account of Jesus speaking to a Syrophoenician woman. She's not even Jewish. And then you've got a woman with an issue of blood, and he touches her. He speaks to an adulterer. He travels with women. Women gave to him. The first appearance of the resurrection, the foundation of Christianity, is seen by women. 
And the internal argument of Ephesians backs this up, that women are valuable, that there's a new society in Jesus Christ where Jew or Gentile are all fashioned into one in Jesus. So remember that in terms of dignity, value, and worth. Husbands and wives, they are equal. And that's not to be forgotten. And yet there is distinction in role and function. That there's to be complete subordination on part of the Christian wife. And there's to be complete love on the part of a Christian husband. And both roles are Christian roles because they model Jesus to this world. Both roles require death to self. Kent Hughes, a wonderfully respected writer and pastor, wrote that the entire household teaching rides on the joyous surging tide of mutuality. There's this mutuality that's going on that we're mutually valuable, but we're mutually walking in distinct roles. Equality of worth does not equal identity of roles. Rather, there's ordered equality. I believe it was Azurdia that said, a Christian wife in full equality of her husband, voluntarily yielding up her own independent rights so that she might be responsive to his love. This is never repressing her opinion or perspective so she can't have her own mind or thoughts or perspectives or personality. She, along with her husband, is a fellow image bearer of God and an heir together of the grace of life. Peter tells us that. You know, it's been said that when you're preparing for a sermon as a pastor, that basically what you have, what happens during the week, and then what is eventually presented on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or wherever, it's basically like an iceberg, okay? Here on a Sunday morning, what you guys see is what sunk the Titanic, you know? But it's the... It's the uh, It's the little teeny part sticking up out of the water. And then below is this giant mass that kind of represents the week-long study, you know. And a lot of times I'll have like 30 pages of notes that I've prepared. And in this series, it's just like so much that I kind of have to pick and choose what, you know, Lord, what do you have for today? And I just want to follow up with this from last week where we just give the right definition of submission before we get in today's, uh, to today's motivation behind submission in this, following up with what's, what's been said thus far. And I want to tell us what submission does not mean before we move on. Submission does not mean and by the way, if you haven't listened to the last week's teachings, please get the podcast, uh, get on our website, listen to the studies, because there's been all sorts of foundation laid up until this point. So help yourself by doing that. But what submission does not mean is that men under a veil of godliness get to use Ephesians 5.22 for wickedness. Submission does not mean that the wife becomes a slave who never opens her mouth 
or gives her opinion or counsel. Maybe already goes against maybe what a lot of us were raised with, um, or maybe not, but maybe. In Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 through 12, you have the whole drama soap opera between Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and that strange little love thing that was going on there and trying to make a baby. You ought to read it if you haven't yet, but it's in Genesis chapter 21. Sarah ends up inviting Abraham to go into her handmaiden Hagar so that they can have a baby that would, you know, continue on their family line. And when they did so, and Abraham was kind of like, okay, you know, and he did it, uh, they had this baby named Ishmael. And when Ishmael grew up, he became a burden to kind of like stepmom or something, Sarah. And eventually when Sarah did have her miracle baby, uh, Ishmael and miracle baby Isaac didn't get along. So Sarah was like, we got to get this, you know, handmaiden of mine and, and Ishmael out of here. They are just, this is just horrible. And, and Abraham didn't know what to do because Ishmael was his son. And when Sarah basically said, cast out the bondwoman and her son, Abram didn't know what to do. And so the Lord says to Abraham, whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. Isn't that interesting? You know, Abraham didn't just bust out Ephesians 5.22. You just need to submit and let me take care of this. No, the Lord says, hey, listen to your wife, whatever she says, do. Women have a voice in the home. Wives have a voice. Or in Acts 18.26, you've got Aquila and Priscilla, this dynamic ministry team duo, teaching and explaining to Apollos in the New Testament the way of God more accurately. So the role of a wife or a woman isn't just to not be seen and not be heard. When the Lord appeared in the book of Judges to Manoah and his wife, Manoah knew it was the angel of the Lord. And he said, we are surely going to die because we've seen God. But his wife says to him, and it's funny because when I remember this story, it's Manoah saying this wonderful word of wisdom. But then as I came to it again, I'm like, it was the wife that said this incredible word of wisdom. His wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would have not accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from his hand. He wouldn't have showed us all these things or told us all these things at this time. And so we see Manoah's wife speaking a wonderful word of wisdom that brought peace to a troubled husband's heart. And so submission does not mean that the wife becomes a slave who never opens her mouth or gives her opinion or counsel or counsel. So maybe the husbands need to repent a little bit from some of our oppression that we've been throwing down on our wives. Submission does not mean that a wife is inferior to her husband. Peter tells us that we are heirs together of the grace of life and that the husbands actually need to dwell with that heir with understanding lest our prayers be hindered. Submission does not mean that a wife is to submit without limitations. Ephesians tells us she is to only submit as is fitting in the Lord. And that's another week, couple weeks out, um, which is the extent of submission. How far does my submission 
go. Uh, Alistair Begg said, somehow we think that equality and submission are diametrically opposed. They are not, but they are bedfellows. And this is the key to understanding not only the place of wives, but the husband as well. Now, as we move on to really more this morning's topic, we are still dealing with submission. Submission on the part of a Christian wife, as we looked at last week, is the voluntary yielding to the love of her husband. I know we're still a few weeks out, but gals, don't forget that the husbands still have their equally, if not more, severely tall glass of water to drink that is loving their wives to the point of emulating Jesus and laying their lives down. Okay, so there's also a tall glass for them to drink, and we ought not forget that. It's a few weeks out still, but don't forget, there's a lot said to husbands as well. That the husband is not called to be the head, rather he is the head. That he's called not to lead, but he's called to love. And it's all in the context of submitting to one another. Stephen P. Beck writes, Driving down a country road, I came to a very narrow bridge. In front of the bridge, a sign was posted. Yield! Seeing no oncoming cars, I continued across the bridge into my destination. On my way back, I came to the same one-lane bridge, now from the other direction. To my surprise, I saw another yield sign posted. Curious, I thought, I'm sure there was one posted on the other side. When I reached the other side of the bridge, I looked back. Sure enough, yield signs had been placed at both ends of the bridge. Drivers from both directions were requested to give right of way. It was a reasonable and gracious way of preventing a head-on collision. When the Bible commands Christians to be subject to one another, it is simply a reasonable and gracious command to let the other have the right of way and avoid interpersonal head-on collisions. That's interesting because you know, I'm the kind of guy that when I get to one of these four-way stops around here and you know, I get there at the same time as the other person, I want to just automatically always let the other person go first. I mean, I'm just always like, oh, I just, you first. And I prefer you, you know, I just want to be a servant. I want to, you know, and it's like, well, that has wonderful application in other places, but there is order that the law of the land gives us to help things go smoothly. And even this week, right below Barnes Butte Elementary, their seventh and whatever that is, uh, you know, I get there and I'm like, have you ever done that? You first. No, you. No, you. No, you. And it's like, nobody's moving and we just need to get this thing going. And if whoever had the right of way would just get going, there'd be no, and then, you know, no, you, no, you, you know, and pretty soon there's total gridlock in the middle. It's like, there's an order here. It doesn't mean you're better than me or I'm better than you. It means the guy to the right goes first so that we can continue this thing and have it go smoothly. And so that's equally as well in the one lane bridge and the yield on both sides that we are to be reasonable and gracious in this way of preventing a head-on collision. 
And so this starting point at defining marriage as distinctly Christian is that we've got two people who are bound and determined to outserve each other on behalf of the other. Nobody wins and they both win. There's a mutual submission that 21 tells us that is uh, to be towards one another. Now, The motivation behind this is very important. Motivation is key. One person from a church met with his pastor and said, I'm so depressed and I can't get any dates. I'm 300 pounds and I feel like women don't find me attractive. I've done everything to lose weight. So the pastor said, I think I can help. Be dressed and ready to go tomorrow at 8 a.m. So the next morning, a beautiful woman in a skin-tight exercise outfit knocked on the man's door and said, if you can catch me, you can have me. So she took off and he huffed and puffed after her. This might not be a true story, so don't get too offended. I didn't write it, I'm just reading it. This routine went on every day for the next five months. The man lost 115 pounds and felt confident he would catch the woman the next day. That morning, he whipped open his front door and found a 300-pound woman in a jogging suit waiting for him, where she said, the minister said to tell you that if I can catch you, I can have you. (laughs) The things that give us incentive can be strange as equally as sinful. What incites us? What moves us? What propels us and motivates wives towards submission or even husbands towards love? What what motivates us here in Ephesians chapter 5? Does it help to just say, wives submit to your husbands, now go have a nice day? The question is, why? Submission on the part of a Christian wife is motivated by her ultimate allegiance to her Lord Jesus Christ. You might write that in your notes. I'm going to repeat it. Submission on the part of a Christian wife is motivated and propelled by her ultimate allegiance to her Lord Jesus Christ. It's the million dollar question. Why would a wife submit to her husband? Is it, first of all, because it's the role that society has allotted to her and we don't want to go against our culture? Is it because women by nature are born inherently submissive and so by doing so are being true to their natural being? Is it because the husband is stronger and more intelligent and less prone to deception? I think we'd say it's none of those three things, right? So then why would a Christian wife be submissive to her husband's? Well, look at verse 22 where it says, wives submit to your own husband as to the Lord. Now, Lord here is not a reference to the husband as Lord over the wife, nor is she to regard her husband in the same way she regards the Lord. That would be idolatry. But rather that there's an ultimate allegiance to the Lord Jesus, who will always prevail. There's limits to the submission And you can say no at times in obedience to Jesus rather than your husband. That's weeks to come still. But what we see from Ephesians 5.22 is that submission to her husband is an expression 
of her submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how discipleship expresses itself as she follows Jesus. A female disciple of Jesus, Mary that is, will show she's a disciple of Jesus in the extent that she shows submission to her husband. Now look at verse 21 again. We see that we all have a role to submit to one another. But it doesn't end there. Verse 21 continues with motivation, where it says, in the fear of God, or in reverence of God, in awe of God. So there's motivation behind why we would even submit to one another. We submit to one another in awe of who God is in the gospel. Now we came to verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands, and then we have the motivation, as to the Lord. Then husbands have their command in verse 25, love your wives, and then we have the motivation, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So the gospel and what Jesus has done is motivation for husbands, for wives. Then it goes on for children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Chapter 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. This in the Lord, this admonition of the Lord. This is all referring to the gospel uh, precepts. Chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, bond servants are to be obedient to those who are their masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Later on in verse 7, as to the Lord. And the last one, chapter 6, verse 9, masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening. And then here's gospel-centered motivation, knowing that your own master is also in heaven. So the manner in which our mutual submission extends itself and the role that God has given us shows out how gospel-driven our lives are. And the moment we take the gospel and these uh, motivating propulsion systems, in a sense, uh, the minute we take those out, uh, we've really just become a legalist. Okay, we've become a moralist or a legalist. Submission is called for not just because of who your husband is in verse 22, but because of who Jesus Christ is. And what this does, this is what we call gospel-centered preaching and teaching. What this does is it elevates our worth of relationships to a way higher plane. Uh, Tim Savage wrote in his book, No Ordinary Marriage, when applied to marriage, subordination of this kind ennobles the wife. She becomes a creative and energetic partner. She interacts thoughtfully and actfully with her husband. She becomes so much more, radically more than simply a deferential partner in times of dissent. She's also more than a competitor vying for equal status. 
Confident of her equality to her husband, she passionately uses that equality as a platform for revolutionary action. The sort of action which makes other uh, revolutionaries look insipid by comparison. She throws herself into fulfilling the needs of her husband, viewing his interests as more important than her own, as Philippians 2.3 speaks towards. Revolutionary indeed. What person with even a modicum of self-respect, with even the slightest measure of egalitarian propriety, would dare to subordinate her interests to those of another? We have met just a person, Jesus Christ. He viewed his position of equality to God as a reason to submit himself to the appalling death of crucifixion. By doing so, he put our interests ahead of his own. He regarded our needs as more important than his own. He lined up under us, not in the sense that he became inferior to us, but in the sense that he gave priority to our needs. Forgive me as I read on. This is just good stuff. Does this kind of self-sacrifice offend our enlightened minds? Does the subordination of Jesus scandalize our egalitarian sensibilities? Of course not. It is gospel, good news, because it is the grounds of our salvation. Through the subordination of the Son of God, we are exalted. The apostle does not refer to nature, to general standards of decency, to the law or to the fall, as though any one of these contain the grandeur motive of exhortation. Only the Lord Jesus Christ is the source, standard, and motivation of a woman's subordination. And so Savage put so well that Christian wives in this room this morning can have no higher motivation to be submissive to their husbands than Jesus Christ. And though he was exalted, he humbled himself and exalted others. And in that was himself exalted, Philippians 2 tells us. He, in his example of submission, has done everything to save us. And so I speak to my sisters in this room this morning that until this understanding wins you, your heart and your mind and your soul, anytime a pastor or a book you read pleads for you to submit, it will be less than Christian, even though it's from the Bible. And even though conduct like this could be required, it's missing out on the God-glorifying good news. At the heart of Christianity, it's possible to take a right book in the wrong way. It's kind of like looking at American history. It was really cool. I was at my nephew's birthday party yesterday, and I met uh, an American historian. She has her master's in U.S. history, and I was like, dude, I have no master's, and I barely made it through high school, but I love U.S. history. <laughs> and the cool thing about it was she was from England, and so she's like, brought their cherry, like American history. I don't even know. But I was like, how cool is it to have this British gal like majoring in U.S. history? I'm like, what do you think about the Revolutionary War? Um, anywho, to understand the United States history without 
understanding it in context of Christopher Columbus sailing the ocean blue in, in 1942 or 1492, <laughs> or the Declaration of Independence in 1776, or the, uh, the end of the American Civil War in the 1860s, these dates affect everything that our history has become to this day, we won't fully appreciate it. We won't fully understand it. And when we're called to go to battle or to sacrifice or to pay taxes, we'll have less of a motivation behind it because we don't grasp the good news of what we are and what we have as a country. In the same way, if we approach the scriptures as just a collection of moral principles that we can just pull stuff out of and just apply it to our life, then we fail to interpret the word of God through the lens of the good news of Jesus Christ and that it was a plan of redemption that God was going to glorify himself through the death of his son from Genesis chapter 1 clear through Revelation chapter 22 and we've missed the whole context of what God is trying to get to us. And that may even be with you thinking you've got a set of principles that you've pulled out of the Bible. Artaxerxes said the Bible is not an inspired book of virtues. Don't use it that way. If you can talk about submission in a way that would be suitable to a Mormon, a Muslim, or an Orthodox Jew, then you're not talking about Christian submission. You've missed the meaning that the Bible intended. Although perhaps you've been able to make your point using verses of text out of the Bible, this book from cover to cover is an evangelical book. And so Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 prevents us from falling into a trap of wives, you do your thing submitting to your husbands. Husbands, you do your thing and love your wife. Kids, you do your thing and obey. Masters, you do your thing and just be nice. And slaves, you do your thing and just obey and get it done and don't lean on your shovel too much. Wow, that was sure nice. <laughs> no, in each one of these calls and imperatives, he says there's some motivation behind it that causes us to look at our God and his self-sacrifice and his submissive heart that ended up exalting others and bringing the Lord glory and praise, really for all of eternity. And so this submission on the part of a Christian wife is motivated by her ultimate allegiance to Jesus. It's an expression to her devotion to him in response of all that he's done for her. Let's look at some other New Testament passages that call wives to submission. Colossians 3.18 Wives submit to uh, to your own husband's as is fitting in the Lord. Not only because it's right, but fitting into God's ultimate design, but also it's the Lord in your life. There's this Lord of your life and who he is. Titus chapter two, verses three through five, you got older women likewise, that they would be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may admonish the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. 
So this call for older women is not just because they're older, because older here doesn't mean anything. It doesn't just mean aged. It speaks of maturity. The women should be taught to be submissive to their husbands. It's at the end there uh, at verse 5 of Titus 3. They are to be submissive to their husbands so that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So that the gospel would be protected from slander and accusation from non-believers. Did you get that? Older women teach younger women to obey and be submissive to their husbands because the very picture of the gospel is at stake here. Then Peter chimes in in 1 Peter 3.1. Wives likewise... Be submissive to your own husbands. And just, this was from a couple weeks ago, but some of you weren't here. See the word likewise there? That tells you to go back. Likewise to what? Be submissive like what? Well, just a few verses before, it talked about how Jesus willingly went to the cross and allowed himself to be reviled. He didn't yell back. He didn't curse back or anything, but he trusted his soul to the one who's able to judge righteously. And so wives, just like Jesus, who could have and had every right to just put the hurt down on everyone who was hurting him, he willingly submitted himself. And so wives, you also be submissive to your own husbands. That even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Okay, so as to the Lord, this submission can even save your husbands. Put all of this motivation together and what do you have? Wives are to voluntarily submit to the love of their husbands because number one, it's an expression of their allegiance to the Lord Jesus Number two, because it's fitting to do so in keeping with God's created design. Three, it adorns the gospel. Four, it's a means of influencing unsaved husbands and even the unsaved community for the sake of the gospel. And so what we can safely assume to contradict this the antonym would also be true. To refuse a husband's love as a Christian wife would be to commit an act of defiance towards your Savior. See what we're doing here? We're just speaking forth the opposite of the truth, okay? It would be to act in a manner that is cross-purpose of God's design. It subjects the gospel towards reproach from those who are on the outside, And it provides a means to convince her unsaved husband that there is really nothing significant about this Christian life. Amazing how sometimes speaking the antonym or the opposite of something can give something even more power. And so we all need to reckon with this for a reason that even some wives in this room are more intelligent than their husbands. You guys know me and Lindsay. Let's just be honest, right? (laughs) She's like a CPA tax accountant. And I don't read real good. (laughs) Some wives in this room are more talented. My wife was an Oregon State cheerleader, could do back handsprings and stand on people's hands in the air. I can't even sit Indian style on the ground, cross-legged. 
okay? More talented, more educated. Wife graduated from Oregon State University. I did a term of welding school at Lynn Benton Community College. Go Roadrunners. <laughs> Some wives are more biblically informed. Some wives possess more instinctive leadership skills than their husbands. This all may be true. So why should a wife submit to her husband if she's a Christian? The motivation is enormous and so significant. It comes from a realization that this is an expression of your obedience to your Savior. I can't remember who, who it was, but to quote, said, fact of a matter, one of the most wonderful and touching scenes is to observe a woman of infinitely greater gifts responding humbly to the love of her clearly inferior husband and to do so in a way that isn't condescending, bitter, manipulative. (laughs) This is so profoundly Christian. It's reflective of the condescending of the life of Jesus who assumed the role of the submissive one. Submission in its most beautiful way is found in Jesus. Whenever a multi-talented woman imitates her Savior by responding and submitting to her exceedingly average husband, we find ourselves gazing at a scene that is nearly as beautiful as the cross of Christ. Shakespeare wrote in the comedy Taming of the Shrew, a little different than the comedies we're used to these days. He wrote of a gal named Katharina speaking to the ladies at Senior Baptista's house. She said, thy husband is thy Lord, thy life, thy keeper, thy head, thy sovereign, one that cares for thee. And for thy maintenance commits his body to painful labor both by sea and land, to watch the night in storms, the day in cold, while thou lie warm at home, secure and safe, and craves no other tribute at thy hands, but love, fair looks, and true obedience. Too little payment for so great a debt. Such duty as the subject owes the prince, Even such a woman owes to her husband. And when she is forward, peevish, sullen, sour, and not obedient to his honest will, what is she but a foul contending rebel and graceless traitor to her loving Lord? I am ashamed that women are so simple to offer war where they should kneel for peace or seek for rule, supremacy, and sway when they are bound to serve, love, and obey. And so we say in response to Shakespeare, yes, but why? As a rule of culture or tradition, and Ephesians says, no. As a response to loving our Lord. In response to loving our Lord. The woman with no loss of dignity takes the position of submission to the headship of her husband, Beg says, and as she submits to follow, so he submits to lead her. And there is no problem with authority and submission in that kind of context. Ladies, 
You can be committed to these principles intellectually, and yet practically, you can be a disaster in living these principles out. Many of us as husbands have done very little to deserve the loyalty and submission of our wives. This phrase from Alistair Begg has always stuck with me. Wives who cart and moan, complain, cross-question, denigrate, undermine, cut, harbor resentment in their hearts against their husbands and make them look foolish when they are out for meals and correct them even though they're wrong, including but not limited to times that it doesn't really matter that much. What matters is that there is a unity and you can correct him when you're back at home. It was February, not March. You had red trousers on, not blue. You disrespect your husband in front of your kids and the next time he goes to discipline, they will back talk and fight back. The kids saw you doing it and they learn from you. The same way they need to see your husband loving you, they need to see you respecting your husband. And for many wives, and maybe you in this room this morning, it goes all the way back to that you've never been prepared to submit to Jesus as Lord of your life. And therefore, you're also not prepared to submit to anyone else in your life that you're called to submit to, going even beyond your husband. The Bible gives us many different people in our lives that we're called to submit to, leaders in our life and governing officials and teachers and things that are common sense submissions that can even save our lives, our physicians. What a wonderful quote I came across, that the greatest act of power and submission was found at a wooden implement of execution. As the worship team comes on up, we want to close in remembering the wooden implement of execution that showed great power, great mercy, and great submission. We've been talking about genuinely Christian marriages. In fact, last week's introduction was what makes a marriage really, truly a Christian marriage? Well, first of all, are you a Christian? Genuinely and truly born again. I would never ask you to become a Christian just to save your broken, fragmented marriage. But I would tell you that your marriage has exploded like dynamite because there are things in your life that may point to neither you nor your spouse having been born again, having been filled with the Spirit so that you can then submit to one another so that wives you can submit to your husbands in demonstrating you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And husbands, loving your wives to the extreme that you are sacrificially, daily, hourly, minutely laying down your life for her, representing Jesus to her, leading her towards purity, and every other relationship that we might have. These things are impossible without being born again. And so as we close today, and you can just set your things aside, we can just move towards an attitude of prayer.
I remember a quote from Oswald Chambers, who I want to apply to marriage in this case, that he would say, Submission by self-strength, by self-methods, with selfish motivation toward the ends of self-gratification and self-glory are the soul and sum of every false religion in the world. And that quote was in regard really more to purity. And it's true for us today. Anything that we would do in our marriage that is just by our own selfish means, by the worldly standards, by worldly motivation, so that we can get what we want out of the deal and ultimately just have this this marriage and this home and this life that will just bring us glory and luxury and just pleasure to our flesh. And if that's it, the Mormons have got it. There's Muslims that can get it. There's Jehovah's Witnesses that think they've found it. But Jesus isn't in it and God's not glorified. It's not His design and it's not for His glory. And so as we look at family in light of the Gospel, today's study, Lord Jesus, we're motivated by You. We're motivated by You. We come to the cross When we're at the cross, Lord, we can't exalt ourselves. We don't sit ourselves on the throne. When we come and remember the cross, we are humbled that even though we were sinners, even though we were lepers in a spiritual sense, we were unclean. We were fit for the fire. We defiled everything around us. In our family lives, we have left destruction in our kids and in their lives. We have destroyed our property. We've destroyed our relationship with even our community because of what we've done in our marriage. We've destroyed our relationship with our first love. That woman that we pursued and adored and that ravished our heart. We've destroyed these things. And at the cross, we see that you died to make all things new. You died while we were sinners to bring forgiveness, to bring redemption. As 1 John tells us, you died and rose again so that we can have fellowship restored between us and God and us and men. And so here in this place, Lord, Lord, there are hurting homes. There are hurting marriages. There are regrets. There are talks of divorce. There are thoughts of divorce. There's pursuit of 
affairs and adulterous relationships. There's pursuit of other lustful things to try to fulfill a void in our heart that, Lord, that you primarily fulfill and that in your design you've caused marriage to fulfill. There's brokenness, Lord. There, is, there are people here who are dreading going home this afternoon. There are people who are tyrants. There are people who are manipulative. There are people that are abusive. Lord, we have fallen short of your glory, even in this church and even in this room today. We have not first positioned our hearts as to the Lord. So wives aren't submitting to husbands. Husbands aren't loving wives. We're not submitting to one another. It's a disaster, Lord Jesus. And we just cry out for help. Will you help us, Lord? Will you fall on us by your spirit in this place? We've got rebellious hearts. Lord, just put those hearts in their place this morning. Maybe as we close in this song, maybe just the first half of the song, you might just stand today and just say, Lord, I need a heart submitted to you. Whether you're a husband or a wife or a child or a parent, you would just say, I need, a, I need a heart that's submitted to you, Lord, that's a disciple of Jesus. Just recognizing today that that is paramount for you to be the wife you're to be, for you to be the husband, the child, the parent, the boss, the employee. If you're not submitted to the Lord, this, this whole thing's going to fall apart. And so in just humility, would you just stand and respond to the scripture today and say, Lord, I want to willingly, voluntarily submit myself to you today as you've shown me your great love at the cross.